Welcome to Hemp Barons, everybody. I'm Joy Beckerman, and I hope that today's show finds you and your family healthy and at peace. And if you haven't been healthy, I hope you're recovering. Uh, this is such a transformative time, and I know that we all have different levels of challenges and obstacles that we're facing, and certainly inconveniences that we're learning to, to handle and work through. I really believe that this transformative time is giving us an opportunity to learn so many lessons. Uh, everything from what kind of food choices have I been making? And now I have a little bit more awareness and mindful bandwidth to make a better choice. Or, sheesh, I, I recognize that my daily routine has uh, gotten off kilter over the years in my busy life. And I want to integrate these other good habits that I used to practice or that I've been wanting to practice for years uh, into my daily routine now. So there's just so many opportunities for us to make uh, better choices and really take the time to work through those frustrations and those inconveniences and sit with those uncomfortable and negative feelings and transform them and evolve. Uh, and I also fully recognize that I am in a good position, that I can do that. I, I'm not suffering for employment right now. Um, and my heart is going out to uh, the many, many millions of people across America and certainly the world who are suffering tremendously. Um, we know that the unemployment rolls are just exponentially going up. Um, we have families who are hungry, children who are hungry, people who have medical needs. And, and of course, my heart goes out to children and families who live in homes where there is domestic violence, uh, where there is substance abuse. And of course, those issues and those problems are compounded um, by staying at home. And yet it's what science is telling us we absolutely must do. And so my heart's going out uh, to those folks as I, as I sit here and count my blessings, my very many blessings, um, and move through this opportunity uh, to change and to evolve and being part of, of making the world a better place. I really do believe that this transformative time of coronavirus uh, has the highest potential for change in, in our lifetimes. So uh, thank you for being a part of this uh, with me and for listening. And I, I'm just sending you my most positive vibrations and, and beaming as much love and light as I can uh, out to the world and, and out to everybody for strength and inspiration so we can make the most of this, what I'm going to call an opportunity, even though, yes, it's an opportunity that's coming in the form of a pandemic, the likes of which we've not seen before. And, and as it turns out, there's this gradual uh, reopening in being discussed in certain jurisdictions. Uh, we currently have a, a date for New York State, which is May 15th, uh, that the stay-at-home order will start to be gradually lifted, uh, and so on and so forth. So there is some some change happening and some signs on the horizon that we might start to get back into our new and improved normal. And that's the story I'm sticking to, that it's gonna be a new and improved normal. And at the same time, we do have to wait and see. We're all very concerned about a second wave and have learned from Spanish flu and, and other uh, pandemics what the reality of that potential is. is. So, so we'll see. 
in terms of hemp industry news, there's some, been some really great news, actually. And there was a recent major call to action by the hemp industry and agricultural coalitions. Um, and as you folks may know, I'm the vice president of federal lobbying for the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which is our nation's uh, leading 501c4 advocacy organization for hemp. And we joined in many of the other hemp industry organizations and advocacy groups, along with those agricultural groups, to send out massive um, PR and calls to action for folks to beseech the White House uh, to ensure that hemp farmers and hemp companies could be eligible for the EIDL program. That's the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program that the Small Business Administration is administering under the CARES Act uh, that recently passed for the coronavirus. And good news, as what happens when people get together, those advocacy efforts were a tremendous success. So now, under the Paycheck Protection Program Increase Act, what we're calling the PPP Act, which of course was a piece of the CARES uh, package, um, is expected to be signed to law probably by the time you hear this. This this new um, issue is going to be signed into law, this, this new benefit. Um, and it's going to allow hemp farmers and companies to be clearly eligible for funds under the EIDL, the Economic Injury Disaster Long Loan Program. And even better than that, uh, Congress added another $10 billion to the EIDL program and increased the Paycheck Protection Program funding by another $300 billion. So it was originally $349 billion and it went up to $659 billion. So we're talking an increase all in all of $400 billion along with the clear eligibility of hemp farmers and companies to have access to those funds. So this was a majorly important and a, and a great success and, and another bold demonstration of what happens when people get together and make their voices heard uh, here in the United States, where believe it or not, guys, no matter what you're hearing or thinking um, from the current time, we have the greatest system in the world and our leaders do work for us. And when we make our voices heard strongly and in concert with one another, and we're, when we're aligned, all of the interests in these various industries, we make change. And and believe me, uh, we, we can do it easily, but we have to do it together and we and we have to, to respond when we hear those calls to action to respond. And, and that, by the way, gives me a great opportunity to say, would you please go as soon as you have a moment to hempsupporter.com. That's hempsupporter.com. And that's the website for the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. You can click the, click the join button in the upper right-hand corner to sign up for our newsletter. Letters, and we will keep you updated on calls to action, developments uh, in the industries uh, legally and regulatorily. We really want you to become a hemp supporter because it supports America and we need you. All of us are so important. It's a great and easy way. We're not spammers. You're not going to get a ton of emails, but believe me, when those important calls to action happen, we want them to end up in your uh, inbox and for you to take the basically 10 seconds it takes to hear that call and act upon them. Additionally, uh, on April 17th, the USDA announced the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, the CFAP, and that, using, that uses existing funds appropriated for the CARES Act uh, by making $19 billion available in immediate relief to farmers and ranchers. We're not sure yet whether hemp producers, whether hemp farmers are going to qualify uh, for those funds, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program funds, but I can tell you that the U.S. Hemp Roundtable is going to be working with our, our contacts on Capitol Hill and the USDA to ensure maximum support to the very best that we can. 
And speaking of the USDA, there's a great show in store for you folks. So excited to bring to you a fantastic interview with Rick Fox, uh, CEO of Maristem Farms. Rick is the kind of professional, experienced professional that we love to see turning to hemp and really altering his career um, to use the skills and talents and intellect uh, that he has to join us in hemp. So many incredible women and men across America are, are transitioning their careers and, and finding the promise and the opportunity in this versatile, valuable crop. And, and Rick is one such soul. Not only was he a, a Fulbright scholar as a young college student, but he's been with the USDA all in all for around 16 years um, in combination mostly with the Forest Service, the USDA Forest Service, and then the Foreign Agricultural Marketing Service, uh, as well as working internationally in Russia for six years on an environmental program coordination with them. He is a brilliant gent as it comes to rulemaking laws all around uh, USDA jurisdictions, um, but he's also happens to be very well skilled in infrastructure and has an incredible network of professional, really world-leading uh, geneticists, um, plant breeders, and uh, agronomists, so on and so forth. So very excited to have him on the show here. Um, and I hope that you enjoy, and we're going to have Rick on again. Again, he's, he's really the type of person that we very much um, want to have in hemp. In any event, enjoy the show, folks. Well, hello, Rick. Thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Errands today. Thank you, Joy. It's great to be on with you. You know, you're one of these souls, uh, these intellectuals and these real doers, um, a, a gentleman who rolls up his sleeves to, to advance agriculture and someone who we're so lucky to have in hemp at this nascent stage as this versatile, valuable crop reemerges and reestablishes itself because we are building the infrastructure here. We are connecting the dots and we need regulations. We need folks who can see around corners uh, in the midst of all of the inspiration and misinformation that comes with the truly exciting and revolutionary opportunity to introduce another crop into America's agricultural scheme. Although in this case, reintroducing. And and Rick, your pedigree is just outstanding. Um, again, we're so lucky to have you now putting all of your uh, talents and skills and experience into hemp. But you've spent 12 years working for the USDA Forest Service, another three years working for the USDA's uh, Foreign Agricultural Service, you know, six years working with as an environmental program coordinator in Russia, um, and you're a Fulbright scholar. I really can't imagine anyone more um, perfectly suited to get into distribution, genetics, and again, building these critical blocks of delivering on the promise of all that hemp is and can be for our, our nation. So it's just wonderful to have you and great to have you in hemp. You're the CEO of Maristem Farms. Will you first start by telling us when you decided to, to jump off the cliff and throw yourself into this opportunity and this incredible crop. Wow, well, uh, sure, uh, happy to. And um, uh, you made me blush <laughs> with, with um, you know, how you started. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's really, all those nice things you said are really just another way of what I call myself a recovering bureaucrat, trying to <laughs> find a way to be useful in the private sector. So 
uh, yeah, it was about 15 years in USDA and uh, uh, risen through the ranks quite a bit, learned a lot, got some things done. And, you know, that's people tend to look at their public service careers and agencies in a 30 year time frame. And I was about halfway through. So I was thinking, well, <laughs> if I stay in this, then I'm going to stay in this until I'm pretty much done. And uh, decided I needed something more creative. I wanted to see some more direct impact, wanted to get involved in frankly, something uh, more profitable. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's actually a long story how it ended up in hemp. You know, we, we were going to start out in, in, uh, in high THC cannabis, uh, uh, going back to some very old friends from my college days uh, <laughs> and, and dead tour. Uh, but uh, there were a few different pivots along the way. And uh, we ended up uh, settling on uh, getting into the hemp business uh, here in Vermont, uh, moved from DC, moved the family up here. Uh, my wife uh, had a federal career as well, and uh, we both decided to just take the leap. And uh, <laughs> I think we're still in the air, <laughs> leaping. Uh, so, but uh, you know, maybe we're growing, growing some wings. So uh, it's it's been it's been an incredible adventure and learning a ton, and you know, hopefully adding some value on the way. Indeed, and and I want to talk much more about what Maristem is doing. It's a it's a dream team of sorts that you have created uh, to um, operate Maristem Farms, and and how you find time. And and I know you how you do it because I do the same thing. You you find time by you know not sleeping and eating properly, <laughs> um, and and self care. But hey, uh, the plant is is a purpose driven um, endeavor, and and so you manage to find time, of course. And, and really even drive and lead uh, the ongoing dialogue, particularly as it relates to the USDA's interim final rule. And there's a lot going on right now. Movement is taking uh, a place. And um, and I think you're, you might have an update or some news for us that I'm very, very excited to not only discover myself as during this interview, but of course to share with our listeners. Um, and, and before we get to that, so Maristem, of course, while you sell uh, beautiful biomass for cannabinoid processing and uh, sell your own smokable hemp products, gorgeous products uh, that I'm viewing on, on the website, um, you also work with distribution, again, because your passion here is, is to be the infrastructure, is to really create uh, a foundation to deliver on, this, on the promise of this plant that we can count on, that we can build on, that is solid, and that is going to give the American farmer, the American manufacturer and consumer here the highest chance of success. So tell us a little bit about um, what's on the horizon for Maristem and what you're working on right now. Yeah, uh, happy to. You know, so last year, you know, we have some very experienced people on our team in, in growing this amazing plant. I just try to absorb as much as I can when I'm around them. But uh, for, for our company, this was last year was our first year growing hemp. And it, it, has been, it, it was a struggle, like for many hemp farms. Um, and one of the things or several of the things that we learned is that you know, there, there, there are major problems throughout the value chain in the industry. Uh, and, and a lot of those come back to the regulations. And so, um, you know, in fact, uh, the USDA interim final rule directly impacted our business, uh, like many others around the country. Um, you know, so, so we decided to 
to take a closer look and, and take some action there. <laughs> the, 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 news, the news is coming very soon, but I, I can tell you this, that, um, you know, that there, there are, when I was in USDA, I was actually in charge of, of rulemaking uh, uh, in, in my division um, when I was back in the Forest Service and, and, and handled uh, a lot of rulemaking issues, um, you know, in legislative affairs uh, and uh, the undersecretary's office uh, across the street in the department. Uh, USDA. And, you know, there are very specific requirements for how federal agencies are supposed to go about um, issuing rules. Um, and, and uh, <laughs> well, uh, it became quite clear that uh, that USDA didn't follow those rules. Um, and that's bad enough in and of itself. Um, but the, the lack of information that they got uh, from the public uh, and from science is partly what directly impacted so many companies in the industry. Um, you know, specifically, you know, the 15-day testing window, mm -hmm. the theoretical uh, testing of decarboxylated THC, you know, <laughs> which people refer to as total THC, uh, but isn't really total THC at all. Um, and the way they sample for only flowers, these are things that if they had done their public comment um, the way they're supposed to, they probably wouldn't have gotten so wrong and not so many businesses would have been impacted. So, um, you know, there, there are, from our view, clear violations of two laws, the Administrative Procedures Act and the Regulatory Flexibility Act. Uh, the first one's the one that requires public notice and comment, and the second one requires an analysis of impacts on small business. Uh, so um, we've, uh, we've, finished, we've finished our preparations for the next step on um, helping USDA to address those issues. And um, I, I would look for an announcement very soon about specifically what's going to happen uh, in that regard. Um, and there are, there are a lot of other problems in the interim final rule also that we wanna take up. You know, the good news is that I think USDA is aware of it. Uh, and I will say that they were pretty brave in in taking on those challenges. This is a, a, a new crop in contemporary agriculture in the United States. So, you know, I, uh, I appreciate their courage in taking it on. Uh, I just wish they uh, hadn't been forced to rush it so much uh, on getting this draft out. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that can be fixed very soon. Their decision to delay enforcement of uh, two other provisions in the rule regarding mm -hmm. DEA registration of uh, labs and um, disposal of crops. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a really good sign. And that's really a roadmap for how this can be fixed uh, without, shall we say, more extended proceedings. I, I think we'll see a lot more in the next week or two uh, about what can be done there. Wonderful. Um, and, and indeed, you know, it was encouraging those two stays, as you say. It's certainly that they didn't get rid of this requirement for labs testing uh, the cannabinoid or specifically the THC levels in hemp to, to be DEA registered. Um, they're, they're holding off, right, until uh, 2021 for now. But, but that was a, a wonderful reprieve because it really setting us up, setting the American farmer up for failure had they 
done otherwise. Um, and while I can certainly appreciate, and, and believe me, I, I, like you, I find the silver lining in all of these things, and I'm cheering on uh, the heroes and heroines at the USDA are really trying to deliver on this crop. Um, and I, I was so disappointed. Of course, as we know, the word disposal is what was in the farm bill, not the word destruction, and they had to come out with destruction. Um, and, and we beat it like a dead horse in public comments and in other meetings uh, with higher up USDA officials. And so it was wonderful to see that they were like, okay, here are other ways that you can dispose of it. Having said that, you know, I continue to just beat the door down for pyrolysis to be a method to dispose of non-compliant hemp. And of course, the USDA's Agricultural Research Service is themselves conducting tremendous uh, research on pyrolysis and, and certainly the, the unique cellulosic makeup of, of hemp cellulose uh, of, of hemp, uh, biomass, I should say, uh, makes it just an incredibly valuable source for, for the, the products, the pure products uh, that can result from pyrolysis and could essentially serve the energy, fuel, air and space, nanotechnology, and, and so many other industries. But uh, I digress. Hopefully we get pyrolysis. I didn't seem like that was such a reach to ask for pyrolysis. The stuff would be completely destroyed and add so much value to the crop. But uh, but hopefully we'll get it next time. I'm really excited to, uh, to hear about what changes um, are going to be taking place and cannot thank you enough for your leadership, Rick, um, in really addressing the due process that that wasn't followed uh, during well, so this. There's, and there's a, there's a lot of people uh, in and around the industry who have stepped up, uh, you of know, in, in, including you, Joy, um, and, and, you know, many of the organizations that we're affiliated with. Um, you know, I will say that state agriculture commissioners really stepped up uh, to pressure USDA on those two issues for the as 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 did the trade associations and companies like our own, um, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, you know, uh, the the conversations with state ag commissioners uh, that, that I've had and, and and that I know they've had with USDA uh, played an important part of that. I mean, in fact, Undersecretary Iba announced those changes at the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture meeting in February uh, in response to to their to their push. Um, and, and so I, I think this all really underscores that, um, you know, a coordinated effort is needed. Um, and the more that people understand this plant, uh, whether they're regulators or elected officials uh, or folks like us throughout the industry, you know, I, I think that increased understanding takes some of the pressure off. Um, you know, I mean, this isn't, you know, prohibition was, you know, this is a newly legalized crop. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think as we all know, uh, the DEA uh, and the Drug Czar's Office in the White House uh, have we're, had a lot of influence over this process. Uh, you think? Actually, oh, well, I, I know. Well, yeah. Of course. I mean, <laughs> I oh, my God. For a fact. The um, DEA isn't mentioned once in the Farm Bill, and it's mentioned 43 times in 42 pages of rules. I'm pretty sure they had a hand in it. Dear Lord. Well, you know, and, and this this is where this is where you know industry stakeholders and the public can can come in and help. Congressional intent was fairly clear in the farm bill, I think, that they really wanted USDA to manage hemp and not DEA. But you know, the federal government being what it is, there are certain you know levers of power 
throughout the executive branch and USDA is not always on top of those levers. So, you know, it, it was very helpful. You know, Secretary Perdue uh, uh, testified at a couple of hearings uh, in February, and uh, we were we were fortunate that uh, he was asked some questions about that. And, you know, he, he did really underscore uh, the degree to which the DEA uh, and the Drug Czar's office influenced that process. You know, he he refrained from criticizing it as as he probably should if he wants to keep his job in the cabinet. But but you know, he, he pointed out the facts very clearly, uh, and I, I, that is something that that you know we we are all reacting to. You know, another key thing that happened in those committee hearings is that uh, he acknowledged that the IFR is a draft. I was very pleased with my former colleagues on the Hill that uh, <laughs> uh, they were able to. Uh, uh, have the committee members, um, well, they didn't have the committee members obviously ask their own questions, but um, I think I think everyone, um, you know, in those offices realized those issues, and we're, we're, we're bordering on wonkery here, but, uh, you know, a lot of folks in the industry are paying attention to the 2014 Farm Bill authorities that are supposed to expire this year, because states have the option to use those yes. restrictive authorities this year, and the fact that the secretary testified that it is a draft really is a very clear acknowledgement that uh, the provisions that that call for the 2014 Farm Bill authorities to be repealed at the end of this year don't apply. Uh, it's really very interesting. The provision in the Farm Bill specifically says that the 2014 authorities are to be repealed one year from the date that the secretary establishes a plan. And yes. by plan, they're referring to the, the new rule. Well, the secretary just testified to Congress. That it's not a final <laughs> and he rule. He has not yet established the plan. It's a draft. Yes. So, you know, we just need to really corner that point and, and we're going to. And, and so great to hear that because, you know, I, I've worked so hard with New York, which, by the way, is quite easy to work with. You know, uh, counterintuitive here is the fact that New York, which really loves to be the gold standard um, for food safety and quality. And indeed, they are creating that cover by by forcing uh, compliance with the codes of federal regulations for current good manufacturing practices for food and dietary supplements and so on um, in the state. But even New York was like, sorry, guys, we're sticking with the 2014 Farm Bill as long as we can. You better get this fixed because we put money, we put resources, we believe in this crop. We want New York to be a leader in this crop. And you're setting us up for failure here. So thanks anyway. And amazing um, to get that result uh, from even um, Kentucky did it. Even Kentucky, Kentucky which was which you know, if if the rumors are true, uh, was one of the states pushing, advocating very strongly to have the new USDA rule put in place as quickly as possible. You know, I, I can't I can't say for a fact that's true, but I've heard that from a lot of people. Well, when the when it all when it all came down, <laughs> they said, you know what, uh, uh we're sticking with 2014 too. You guys need to work on this a bit more. <laughs> Absolutely, God, that Ryan Quarles, you know, is just so awesome. And of course, they had a major hero in Jamie Comer as well, but he moved on to to become a member in Congress. And yeah, I mean, Kentucky wants well, so, to work under the rules unless you're going to mess with their farmers. Right, exactly. And these are things that you know. I mean, again, like you know, I spent most of my career in public service, you know, in the bureaucracy. Uh, and when I was in USDA, I knew that it was the farmers who who had the truth, who mm -hmm. spoke the truth and whatever, you know, or, or the foresters when I was in the Forest Service. But the folks who are out, actually out there making their living, you know, in the fields and in the woods, they know what's going on. 
And when a regulation impacts them, it's plain as day. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the enlightenment for me coming out of the bureaucracy and, and, you know, becoming a farmer. Yeah. These regulations come down the pike and bam, suddenly my biomass, my biomass contracts are a mess and I'm looking at laying off employees. I don't know how I'm going to plant the next year. I mean, you know, it's a nightmare. And it's and, time for us to, to protect the farmers, uh, you know, the farmers are clearly sick and tired of it. I, you know, the more I learn about it, the more no way are the farmers going to be the one to continue to take the risk, to continue to take the hit, when the reality is, without the top six inches of soil and rainfall, we're all going to die. The farmers <laughs> are the heroes. And, and you know, our lives basically depend on them. It's time to understand their, as well as teachers, roles in the you know the regeneration and and the sustainability of course of our entire civilization and i wanted to ask you the first i i've set it up with this this little factoid and then move on to the reality and it's a dark reality and it's not something that's you know pleasant to talk about but it's important for folks to know and that is increases and the problems we have with farmer suicides and bankruptcies but leading up to that when we talk about that dea registration and um many of the conversations that you and i had and i had taken of course such a huge deep dive i mean this is my purpose-driven life here is hemp into the IFR and preparing uh, those public comments with various attorneys. But then as as our conversation, yours and mine began to expand and deepen, you know, you just continue to take these deeper and deeper looks. And as I got into the, the final rules, specifically drilling into the DEA lab registration requirement, requirement it literally states uh, that the labs um, the HI that that the labs need to be registered within the the criteria of 21 USC 823 F, um, so U.S. Code, which is basically when you and then I got into that code and that pertains to the registration of quote manufacturers, distributors, and dispensers of controlled substances. So here we are, you know, telling our farmers through the IFR that they are manufacturers, distributors, and dispensers of controlled substances. I mean, just crazy pants, but really setting setting folks up for failure. Talk for a minute about, about your insight as to this dark but very real and unfortunately growing problem of farmer suicides increase and bankruptcies. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and this is this has been something that's been going on, you know, throughout agriculture mm-hmm. for a couple of years now. Of course. I mean, you know, may, maybe longer. I mean, you know, the, the plight of the family farm in this country is, you know, a, a, unfortunately a long story, a long and sad story. That's more than just a couple of years. But yeah, you know, the the upheavals that have gone on over the last few years, specifically trade issues, changes in markets. I mean, dairy farms up here in Vermont and frankly in every dairy producing state, you know, the 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 the, the trends have really not been working in farmers favor but i'm actually going to turn this 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 dark story into something optimistic and we're we're in a time of great upheaval now with the Mm -hmm. pandemic it's front page news every day how important farming is to our food security Mm -hmm. and and to our economy i mean i think people you know intuitively know that throughout society but they're in touch with it on a daily basis or maybe a weekly basis because they only go to the grocery store every week now, more than ever. And, and 
and I and I think this is actually, you know, it's 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 one of those moments where paradigms shift. Mm -hmm. And and I think I think there's going to be a renewed uh, um, appreciation of farms and the farm economy, and also how to properly manage the value chains for it. I mean, you know, you, you can read in the mainstream news now how a large meatpacking plant can't supply pork to to consumers because they're set up to supply to large institutional service providers, right? And I mean, I'm using big words, but basically they have the wrong equipment. They have equipment that's all set up so they can fill big bags of onions instead of little bags like what you find at the grocery store. And all of this comes back to how the value chain is managed. And, and I, don't, I don't want to turn this into a larger discussion on ag policy, but specifically to hemp, we have an opportunity now, and I mean right now, to reinvigorate the conversation about how hemp diversifies farm revenues. Especially, I mean, those farms that have lost their markets, it's not too late for them to plant hemp, you know, for a lot of them anyway. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I mean, if they're trashing their onions, and 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 I'm, I'm actually not sure onion fields are the best place to, to grow hemp, but believe it or not, it, this biggest piece of of territory within New York State where we have that incredible deposit of black dirt, the largest contiguous deposit of black dirt on the planet in Orange County. It's a big onion producing region. Okay. And, well, and those big onion guys, believe me, they have added hemp into their rotation, brother. Yeah. Well, so they should add they should add a lot more. And you know what what this comes back to is not just diversifying farm revenues, mm -hmm. but also, you know, where are textiles going to come from in this new normal that we're going to when we come out of this 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 COVID fog? Amen. Our global supply chains are going to be nothing like they were before. Mm -hmm. So whether it's textiles, whether it's raw materials for 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 plastics, and and you know the fifty thousand things we haven't even discovered yet about what we can use for hemp. <laughs> so so this is really you know. This, this is a key moment for, frankly, the U.S. government and Congress and how they allocate their next round of stimulus funding. You know, if this one that's, I think, being signed today is 3.5, then phase four, I think, is coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, hemp for victory in World War II, hemp for liberty now, or whatever slogan you want. Yep. You know, this is a huge opportunity to divert more federal funding to stimulate the development of the hemp industry. Let's have purchase contracts. Uh, let's have R&D grants um, and, and marketing orders so that so because the only way this is going to happen is if is if the federal government funds capacity in the hemp industry to actually realize its potential. And I'm talking mostly about fiber hemp now. You know, yes. we're a resin, we're, we're a resin hemp company. But but fiber hemp is you know, where my heart is. <laughs> well, and it's much bigger stakes for the economy and yes. society in general. So you know, trillion dollar industries, yeah. wide spectrum, obviously. So, so the, the opportunity right now is to say, all right, first of all, take the shackles off the hemp farmers. OK, we understand you were trying to get it right with the IFR. You didn't have the right information. You were pushed to rush it. It came out all wrong. So wait, so just set it aside right now. Let the people grow the hemp without having to worry about losing their livelihoods. It's bad enough as it is, right? Amen. So that's the IFR. You know, let's talk about hemp as a specialty crop. Hemp can be both a specialty crop and a grain crop and access both sets of funding. The USDA has funding to support both those things. You know, of course, there's the THC threshold and hemp extracts as dietary supplements, which is something we're working on. But really the big story is invest some of that stimulus funding 
in the future of the U.S., not only ag economy, but manufacturing economy, and let's make hemp an integral part of it so we don't have to depend on foreign sources like we have been. Make it an option, not a requirement. So, you know, these are things that I think, I hope, uh, we're all... We're all going to read about in the news uh, in the next couple of weeks. You know, part of my time in USDA, I was on the Hill and I worked in Senate Ag Committee. Uh, some of those folks are now with Senator Probst. Um, there are some benefits to being a, a resident of Vermont, where uh, <laughs> the vice chairman of the Appropriations Committee in the Senate is Vermont's senior senator, that lady, yep. uh, who's very interested in hemp, as are many, many great senators in both parties. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, hemp really is a nonpartisan issue, and I think we should all constantly remember that. Absolutely. Uh, not bipartisan, but nonpartisan. Anyway, I, there, there, there's a lot of political will right now to explore new options, uh, especially that make us more self-sufficient and more resilient. And so... Uh, that's my message to everyone in the hemp industry. You know, those are key words for us and, and and the folks who have their fingers on the print button for where the money's printed. <laughs> they're listening and they're and they're pushing that button, you know. So I, I, I think yes, it's been a dark time in agriculture in the United States. Uh it's it's very, very dark right now, but uh, I always say the worse things get, the sooner they'll get better. You know, and and that is that is the thinking that is going to take us out of this thing, and and really the reality of it. Now, I know as we are experiencing coronavirus, uh, that there are people suffering tremendously. I um, very much recognize the blessings in my life, and and those blessings counting them. By the time I get to four, I have so much energy to uh, reach out to those who are suffering and and seeing what I can do here, and so fully acknowledge acknowledging the suffering that's ex- that is being experienced in all around our nation and around the world. Um, I also want to say that this is an incredibly transformative time with s- probably the highest potential for change in, you know, since the Great Depression. And I don't even know how well we did coming out of that. We're, we're much smarter as a people now. And I really believe that this situation in which we find ourselves are highlighting exactly um, the points that you're raising right now. And and as you were speaking, I recalled a few years ago, we went on the Boston History Tour. Now, I was born in Boston. I've lived in Boston. The thing about the Boston History Tour is you should probably take it every five years because uh, there's just new things as our own experience expands that we gather during this um, tour, which is so informative. And I just recall going around on the boat. It's a boat and a bus tour. And constantly the answer was, see this pier here, especially when we were on the boat. Now that used to be filled with commerce, you know, because we manufactured stuff here in Boston for a good long time. And they've been empty now for decades because, you know, our number one uh, source of revenue in the city of Boston now is tourism like a third world caribbean islands uh you know number one source of resources tourism as opposed to manufacturing i mean i remember it probably wasn't a few years ago now it was probably 10 time goes by so fast especially since the hemp revolution went on steroids but um but you know i really feel that this is is teaching us. And I'm wondering, are you familiar with uh Senator Tulsi Gabbard's Hemp for Victory Act? I, I am. 
Yes, very, very honored um, to be asked to be involved with that at its inception of the drafting. In fact, uh, in speaking with her incredible team, her, she has a crazy, crazy, brilliant and motivated and inspired, very enlightened staff um, and policy directors. It was through that drafting that I was like, oh, Department of Defense, I mean, him for victory, right? And, and they had not been aware of the Hemp for Victory film. Um, and so I said, man, you, you, you got to get this film in front of the Department of, Fen of Defense and really watch it. And for all I know, the senator had, in fact, you know, her dad, Mike Gabbard, is quite the hempster himself, but the policy folks hadn't. And I really see this as an opportunity and have been trying to get various groups um, to really start to, to back uh, that bill because it's directing. And as I learned through drafting that bill, I got quite an education uh, from Tulsi Gabbard staff. We're the, and you'd think it would be obvious to me, but it wasn't. Um, and that is that we are the largest uh, produce, we are the largest purchaser of goods in the world, the United States uh, government. And so I learned, and you'd think it would be obvious, but it was not to me. I learned through uh, Tulsi Gabbard staff that the U.S. government is the largest purchaser of goods in the world, and that the Department of Defense is the largest purchaser of all of the other departments. And so if we get something going with this bill that directs every single department within the United States to sort of take a tally of all the that they buy, research whether those items could be improved uh, with hemp-based or hemp-blended products, and then use that data to give to the Small Business Administration and lenders to discuss what a safe and, and really prove what a safe bet uh, the hemp economy and hemp lending is. I really think that, you know, that would just be tremendous. And obviously, so does the Senator. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, the, the the buying power of the Pentagon is is just like just like you're suggesting a huge opportunity. I, and I think I read an article, I don't know if it was one of in one of the hemp journals or, or maybe something that was uh, broader in ag. Just a couple of weeks ago, the, the Department of Defense signed a purchase contract to, or maybe they were just uh, 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 testing um, hemp-based materials. I, I can't remember if it was a new kind of bulletproof vest or or whatever it was. I have to go look at it. But um, yeah, but when when you look at so if for example we want to use stimulus funding to uh, to fund USDA or frankly the Defense Department for purchase contracts for hemp, they'll use it. There, you know, how much how much material do they use every month or year to make new uniforms? Um, I mean, the <laughs> military makes their uniforms out of hemp. Um, you know, why don't we? <laughs> um, so, and, and, and I, I, I think probably some parts of it already are, but yeah. And then of course, all the advanced bioplastics bio and the research, um, you know, so many exciting things to do there, but if we don't have the supply chain to support it, it's not going to go anywhere. That's right. And that's why, that, that's why these moments when the government realizes they need to print money are opportunities, not for handouts, but to make to make investments that only governments can, you know? I mean, obviously this isn't something quite on the scale of the interstate highway system, but you know, when you have an opportunity and you have political will to spend money on, on societal needs on the scale, um, you know, amazing things can happen. And, and so I think, you know, so how about loan guarantees for, for more processing? 
right? How about how about looking at how, how you know better distribution channels? You know, I mean, coming back to the value chain for a minute or two, you know, it, it's it's weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an economist, but it seems very weird that you know with prices falling so much and what farmers are being paid for their crop. And I'm talking about I'm talking about CBD products now. Yeah. Uh, the prices on the shelves haven't changed. <laughs> you know, if you want mm-hmm. a, if you want a 1500 milligram bottle of nice tincture uh, that comes from a reputable source, you're still paying around 100 bucks retail, right? Maybe mm-hmm. 120, maybe 90. You know, there's deals online, but you know those prices aren't aren't a quarter of what they were. But the farms producing hemp, you know, they're lucky to get 10 bucks a pound you know, dollar a point for 10% CBD, you know, when they were looking at $40 last summer, uh, I mean, uh, before harvest. So uh, what's going on there is uh, what economists would call a, a market distortion. Uh, when supply, when there's so much supply, then the price should come down, basic supply and demand. But because the processing capacity isn't there, and because the distribution systems are, I'll gratuitously call it quirky, I broker hemp too, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, there's plenty of really good brokers out there who, who provide, who add value. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I'll just stop there. I, I was uh, just going to say, I'm, I'm chewing a hole in the side of my cheek, making an yeah. inappropriate joke, but so, continue. But sh- surely the distribution systems can and need to be more efficient. Everything from, you know, quality assurance to, uh, you know, verification systems, all that sort of stuff. Um, my point is that those those risk factors and those uncertainties, and let's not forget, uh, you know, difficulty with accessing financial services too. Yes. All those things introduce risk and uncertainty, so there hasn't been the investment in processing or, or proper distribution channels that there needs to be, and so you have that bottleneck in the value chain. Um, you know, and I mean, you could also make analogies to to how distributed processes are managing the crop that they do buy. Uh, I don't want to get into that either. Uh, you know, I think it's obvious that the capacity isn't really there. So if and a lot of that risk and uncertainty comes from regulations and the confusion that they create. And and you know, how many major capital investors are waiting to get into the hemp industry because they're not, what is this decarboxylation stuff and total THC? And am I going to get arrested? Is my plant going to be shut down? You know, they don't have time not, you know, to, to understand these details that, that of course. folks like you and me can geek out on for an hour. <laughs> officials and regulators don't have time either. It's, it's been made way too complicated. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, that's where the interface between policy and regulation and the value chain comes into play. You know, not only does there need to be investment to increase capacity, but you've got to you've got to reduce the risk and uncertainty. So private capital will come in too. I mean, we all know how the, the huge, you know, uh, beverage manufacturers and food producers, you know, are, are chomping at the bit to get in. Some of them are getting in a little bit, you know. But but it's, um, you know, that that's a real problem, and and that's that's something that regulation, first and foremost, getting the right regulations in, can help. Um, and then particularly on the fiber side and advanced bioplastics, uh, some, some serious mm, Build, build that increases. infrastructure. Man, gosh, we are so lucky to have you, Rick, uh, fighting the fight for this incredible plant. Um, just the kind of guy or gal we need. And um, I can't thank you enough. Clearly, uh, as long as you'll have us, we can't wait to have you back. 
um, on the Hemp Baron show. Um, very, very much looking forward to the announcements that are going to be coming uh, from the USDA. And again, thank you so much just for your solidarity and your leadership in that ongoing um, dialogue slash struggle. Um, and Folks, please, you can go to our website, uh, find Hemp Barons at the mjbulls.com uh, website. Our, our podcast is located there, and you'll be able to learn uh, all about Rick, how to get in touch with him, how to check out Maristem Farms, um, and so forth. Uh, Rick, it's really an honor and a pleasure to have you on, brother. Thank you so much again. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Joy. May good health uh, and security follow you through the rest of this uh, endeavor that we're in, brother, and we'll have you on again soon. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.